welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello. Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Uh, I know it's quite quite depressing nowadays. We're still on under lockdown here in England and in Scotland. <laughs> How is it over there, Nick? Yeah, I mean, um, we just had the announcement today, Sturgeon, Nicholas Sturgeon, Lord, uh, you know, the overlord of, of Scotland has kind of outlined <laughs> this map out of recovery, you know, out, out, out to normality. And uh, unlike unlike the uh, the blonde buffoon that rules the South... He who must um, not, not be named, yeah, Voldemort. Yeah, um... You know, she she hasn't outlined dates and stuff, which is kind of like a sensible idea, I think. Yeah, because he would be crucified. Um, I think he, he, I think he likes it, but at this point, that like, he likes being crucified in the media for all the promises yeah. that he couldn't keep over the month. Yeah, well, I kind of, I've kind of noticed on Twitter, it was just like he's announced June, no May seventeenth, we all get to go to the cinema, and I'm just like, yes. Yeah, uh, I miss just, the just, cinema. Just it's on one that. of the things that I miss the most. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll get on to I'll get on to a cinema experience later on, but like I'm totally totally there with with you. I I I've been talking to um a couple of friends about live music as well, and I just think, do you remember live music? Remember how? Oh, remember dear. that? Please don't talk. It's just one of those things. <laughs> like I would I I can't get my my hopes any any. I I just can't think about it because I'm, I'll have proper depression. Uh, I've had things cancelled um yeah so i don't don't go there yeah festivals I, I, just I know exactly can't, i can't even know. i can't even begin to imagine uh but have you um yeah i was gonna ask like if you've been watching anything to kind of distract you over the last week yes um i've started my sort of research for my final thesis master thesis dissertation paper whatever you want to call it um, so I've been watching a lot of um, Barbara Stanwyck and Greta Garbo films, um, but I've also watched something rather more recent, but kind of still steeped in the past. I've watched. I finally watched Peter Bogdanovich's *The Cat's Meow*. I found it on um, Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know if you know about it or what it's about. I don't know. No. No, no, no! I don't. I've I've seen. I saw. I've seen uh, Last Picture Shown and and Paper Moon, which is uh, two of his seventies films, sixties and seventies films. But that one I haven't. I haven't heard of. Do we have Paper Moon on the on the on the season? I think we might do. Or is it the one? Uh, well, this this season? No, I don't think we're doing either of those on this season. Oh, okay. I don't think. Um, there was something else I was thinking about then. Um, and I've watched, it was, it was a, because the cat, the cat's meow is about Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst and his mistress, Marion Davis. Um, you probably have heard of them if you've watched Mank. I don't know, maybe not. (laughs) Um, so it's about a party given on, on Hearst's yacht in 1924 and Someone dies on the art, and I'm not going to tell you what happens after that. But it made me kind of think of 
of the you know movie stars of the 20s and, and 30s and that's why i wanted to see that film and also yeah. and then i watched i rewatched because i had seen it before um chaplin the biopic oh yeah and i still think that i mean it was great and i, I loved it you know richard attenborough it's a good filmmaker and robert downey jr was just brilliant and he deserved the oscar and i feel like Buster Keaton deserves that scale bio- biopic too. And I just don't know why he didn't get it. But that's me. So what have you been watching? So last week we were we, we talked about Ninochka and uh, one of the interesting facts you put on was that uh, director Walter Hill, when filming Red Heat, told Arnold Schwarzenegger to use <laughs> Greta Garbo's performance uh, yeah. to inform his accent. So um, after after a day where I I uh, I thought I had Red Heat and then turned out that I didn't, and then had to you know buy it on Amazon Prime for like three pound fifty on the rent thing. Um, yeah, I know I had I had yeah I thought I owned it but I didn't. Um, so yeah, Red Red Heat. I, I actually sat down and watched it. Um, so the, the film itself is is just like a but it's a buddy cop film, you know, a guy's from Chicago and another guy's from Moscow, and you know, it's 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 very silly. Um, in places, it's quite problematic in other places. Um, but it's a Walter Hill film, and um, I don't know if any if you are familiar with his filmography, but um, the only film I had seen from his before was uh the warriors no which if you're gonna oh, watch that watch yeah, the original I've seen some clips from that it's kind of a cult yeah. film yeah warriors is a, yeah it's very much a cult film um yeah the, the that that film if you're gonna watch the warriors try and seek out the original theatrical cut uh Walter hill went back and did like a director's cut and totally freaking butchered it um <laughs> So yeah, it's a uh, whole thing. But anyway, so Red Heat was it was a yeah, it was a, it's a pretty good buddy comedy film. Um and the accent itself it was I mean it was uh, Arnie doing a Russian accent. Can I we, mean can we agree that Arnold Schwarzenegger is no Greta Garbo? Maybe. I don't know. I look at I look at Arnie and I just go wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> How dare you? No, no, I yeah, no, I I wasn't I wasn't comparing. They're two complete, obviously two completely different uh, kettles of fish. Um, so with Red Heat, I was like, you know, I I wanted to kind of watch other Water Hill stuff. I hadn't got around to watching, um, and I thought I'd seen this a long time ago. Was uh, which is Forty Eight Hours, uh, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Um, I yeah. thought I'd seen it a long time ago, but it turned out I didn't. Uh, one of Eddie Murphy's first roles. Um, it's a buddy buddy cop movie. Uh, a guy, yeah, Eddie Murphy plays the criminal. Nick Nolte's the kind of the gruff, you I know, really don't racist. Like Nick Nolte. I just can't. sorry. It, it just I've seen. I, I can't remember what films I've seen of his, but it's just his performances don't say anything to me. Just like nope, I I don't get it. Sorry. No, it, it's a very very like masculine, you know, like gruffness to it. Um, 
but yeah, like uh, Forty Hours was was pretty good, a pretty funny film. Um, there's a really interesting thing which I'm going to lead on to with the, the the two other Walter Hill films that I saw and related to the Warriors is that he has a very very distinctive uh, cinematography like cinema style. Um, like he makes nightlife look. Um, is I kind of like maybe the best way to describe is like it's kind of like what you would maybe expect Michael Mann's eighties work to look like if like he was a bit more grimier. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the best way I can kind of describe it. And there's like a really really interesting to look in Forty Eight Hours. Um, it's not really there in Red Heat. Um, but it's certainly in the other two films I watched of his, uh, one, The Driver from 1978, um, which is utterly astonishing. Um, I mean, I, I love car chase films and this film is, uh, is fucking fantastic. And, um, after that I watched, uh, Streets of Fire, which he did in 1984, which, um, is kind of like this weird film which takes place in the 80s but it's almost like the 50s had never left so there are like biker gangs and the outfits are all like you know 50s and there's diners but it's actually in the 80s because of how they talk and how they kind of you know act and stuff and it's a really quite a weird film in that but it has an amazing performance from William Dafoe as as the as the bad guy um so I really, really recommend Streets of Fire. It's um I've I've done did some reading on it um in terms of other people's reactions and found that I think it's kind of kind of underrated. Um, so yeah, I really recommend Streets of Fire <laughs> uh, to all those. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it's kind of it really. I mean, like I I did you know apart from the two films we're discussing today, I kind of had a a day where I was like I don't really want to think too much, so I put on you know Doctor Strange. Because I'm still watching WandaVision. Um, okay. So yeah, like, you know what it is. Like, you, you just don't want to think, so you put on a mindless blockbuster. I don't know if you have those days. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But I sometimes, I, I mean, I don't usually put on a mindless blockbuster. I usually put on something much more, you know, 1930s silly films. Like kind of be Warner Brothers films for with lots of cocktails and lots of cocktail dresses and lots of like Park Avenue apartments. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Yeah. Well, should we move on to uh, our discussion for today, which I think is going to be quite an interesting one. I think it will be quite an interesting one too. So first <laughs> off, um, yeah, you'll have a lot of explaining to do, I believe. Um. Let's start with the uh, with my pick, um, as usual, because I pick the ones that are usually um, older. So let's start with 1945's David Lean's Brief Encounter. And here's a quick synopsis. Meeting a stranger in a railway station, a woman is tempted to cheat on her husband. Right, Nick, what did you think of Brief Encounter? So, uh, right, I think kind of what this film represents for me, really, after I watched it, is a real, quite a totally British middle class attitude to love and romance. Um, you know, the, 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 there's the stoicism, there's the withheld emotions, the holding back of kind of any passion, um, and the two leads kind of end up 
torturing themselves as they kind of await in their final goodbyes at the end and at the start, as we learn. Um, I don't think I've seen a film which shows the act of falling in love so convincingly. Um, and then kind of like the heartbreak that comes with saying goodbye. Um, I honestly thought the story was very, very, very compassionate, very romantic and, and, and tragic in, in a ways. Um, I thought the performance of Cecilia Johnson uh, is heartbreaking. Um, really, really hard. I Yeah, I she, you know, there's kind of like an authenticity and like a pureness to her appearance. Um, yeah. She it doesn't look like a movie star. You know, we talked about Greta Garbo last week, but... You know, she doesn't look like a movie star. That's Cecilia Johnson. Um, you know, and there's kind of like a rawness to her emotion and to her kind of like the way she, the way she acts and the way she talks. Um, her narration of the story, you know, to a her completely oblivious husband, um, you know, is is kind of really does like frame the film in in a way that makes it work. Um, I think without that, it may not have been as powerful because we wouldn't have had the emotion behind behind it with her voice, what her voice does. Um, I did. I found a face a face to be utterly captivating in places. Um, no, no doubt. You know, thanks to David Lean's direction and the cinematography, um, the name of whom I escapes me, Robert Krasker. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I thought, and a voice I thought was. Very, very touching and meaningful. Um, like I said, you know, I, I felt this film kind of has some very, very British attitudes towards intimacy and love. Um, there's also some a lot of stuff in that going on in the film to do with class, um, the upper class and lower classes and dealing with how they deal with romance and love compared to how, you know, the middle class deal with it, which is, you know, what, where our two main characters kind of firmly settle. Um, you know, I felt like the way they're kind of falling in love and, and, you know, they have, they're kind of like together almost, well, they, they, you know, they're together in these, in these, in these kind of times where they're kind of hanging out and, you know, it comes across as kind of guilt, you know, it's, it's as though the fact that, you know, the fact that they've fallen in for each other is, is a criminal act, you know, obviously adultery is kind of, you know, frowned upon, you know, shouldn't, you know, I mean, it, it's not nice. It's not a nice thing to, you know, cheat on somebody and be cheated on, you know. But and but the way they kind of act it is on this like this criminal act, like they're committing something com completely horrid, but they can't help themselves, you know. You know, you can kind of you can really really see that these two are really much more right for each other than their respective spouses are. Do you think? You know, do you really and, think that? Well. Do you think that if they were if if they were to run away together, knowing that they love each other very very deeply, they could make it work? Given, I mean, that's given kind of, what they that's kind of... they could leave behind, they leave family, children, spouse. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where like the tragicness of it comes in. It's like do you, you know, and and the, the the hope you know whether we're meant to kind of hope that these. You know, these two were to get together and 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 fall in, you know, just yeah, 
be happy together but it'd be obviously you know that can't happen because of everything you know going on and you know that's that's where all the too much at stake there's too much that they on on both their their each other's shoulders too much weighing on on laura's and alex's shoulders that they, they can't really escape their their family or their their society really because that's also i'll get to that in a minute um but yeah you finish your your yeah i mean mean, yeah well right um of kind of society at the time is kind of frowns upon all this um i thought david lean's direction you know was impeccable it wasn't showy but it was very, very controlled and meticulous. I thought the style, really, his kind of like style, really comes through gently in this film. After watching Brief Encounter, I did sit and rewatch uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I'll argue, you know, it is a different film. You know, it's an epic, but you know, there is a just there. You know, you can kind of look at it and go, this is a David Lean film with both of them. Um, I thought the moment where Laura kind of rushes to meet the Express and then watches it pass at the end, you know, with the, the camera tilt and the way the light kind of shines and and the darkness and the and the sound, you know, it, it was very very powerful. And and the lights, the how the light kind of hit her face at that moment was was really quite quite amazing. Um, this is yeah, this is a really really great film. Um, uh, you know, it's been on my list of things to watch for a long time. Um, you know, it's just one of those films that always gets talked about. And I'm kind of, like I said, like usually with, with the podcast, I'm kind of happy to have knocked it off, off my list. Um, so, yeah, like, I I honestly, after watching this and then and then rewatching the film that we're talking about in a bit, you know, and then arguably I'm going to be doing some defending, but I have, I do have a case for a defense. So good. I look forward to that. Very good. Um, so yeah, no, I'd be interested to know what you've you've got to say. Well, yeah, I I have a lot to say about this film. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, romance ever put on celluloid. It's just one of those movies that even just thinking about it makes me, you know, shiver with 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 the tragedy and the violence of all these feelings that come rushing. And it's just yeah, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, but I'm not going to bore you with that. I, I've got actually I've got um, an article written now, which, which I'll share in the show notes. And if you want to read it, and quite essayistic. So if you want to, you know. Um, but I will. I'm really happy that you liked it. And yeah, David Lean was was basically he he'd already sort of cut his teeth. This was a, if I'm not mistaken fourth or fifth film he he directed um i think it was his i think yeah Um, i think from what i can gather it was his fourth film fourth fourth that he did with noel coward if i'm for what i can yeah so he did in which we serve this happy breathe blithe spirit which is also delicious it's just incredible and i can't believe it's been remade let's not talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um and brief encounter and then moved on to great expectations and and oliver twist um so i think it's it's very british like you said in its way but it's it's quite anti-british as well and i found a very interesting quote from someone who um adrian turner who wrote um an essay on in on criterion 
and a very interesting quote he said brief encounter is not only lean's finest statement on the suffocating world in which, into which he was born it is also his train ticket out seen today brief encounter is perhaps quite literally a dream of england long ago so that's that's one of those things that you just you watch it and it's very very stifling how these two people cannot be happy either together or apart at least for a little while and yeah it's just and it's very very beautifully done although heartbreakingly serious and tragic and realistic i think one of the things that makes it so realistic and so tragic is that the characters are look like real people they're not glamorous at all they're just normal people and trevor howard and um celia johnson were i think they were they were theater actors they weren't they didn't like very much making films and i think it was trevor howard's first feature um, so I think he did really well on his first feature film. Um, so the movie was shot during the final days of World War II, going into production in January 1945, and it was completed in, in May with a small interruption on May the 8th to celebrate Germany's surrender. So it was yeah, very much towards the end of the Second World War. And I found some really interesting um, facts about it. So it opened at a little Carnegie, which was an art house in New York, to respectable business and good reviews. But then positive word of mouth drove up attendance. And by its fifth week, um, it broke the house record and it ended up running eight months in New York. Oh, wow. Um, and I think I found something that you, you might quite like, um, because I know you like Robert Altman. So, uh, Robert, Robert Altman's wife said, quote, One day, years and years ago, just after the war, Robert had nothing to do and he went to a theatre in the middle of the afternoon to see a movie. Not a Hollywood movie, a British movie. He said the main character was not glamorous, not a babe. And at first he wondered why he was even watching it. But 20, min <laughs> 20 minutes later, he was in tears and had fallen in love with her. And it made him feel that it wasn't just a movie. And this was Brief Encounter, of course. And I think that sort of encompasses everything, really, because you have this respectable woman who's got an incredible life. So she's got a small life, but a very good life. So she's got a loving husband. She's got two beautiful children. But then there's, there's something happens that she's not expected and throws her off gear really um and according to several billy wilder biographies the scene in the movie where dr alec uses tries to use a friend's apartment in order to be alone with laura inspired wilder to ride the apartment although i have to say that seeing, I've rewatched it the other day, seeing the friend show up is no C.C. Baxter at all. I don't know, you've seen, have you seen The, the Apartment? Yeah, I have seen uh, The Apartment, yeah. I mean, C.C. Baxter is a bit of a pushover and this friend was very, very dry and very sarcastic. Very British as well. Um, 
but yeah I'm, I'm really happy that you like it and you managed to cross it off your list um i think it's a beautiful film one of my favorite all the time and celia johnson was nominated for um an oscar for best leading and i think she would have won if it had not been for oh olivia de Havilland. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and I, think... I mean, if if you if you're gonna lose to somebody, you know, like in that category, yeah, you know. And I think Olivia de Havilland won. I mean, I've not seen to each his own, but apparently it was a it was an Oscar that was kind of like the same Oscar that was given to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't. No, I actually don't. What do What do you mean? Like, you know how like the Scorsese thing, where like he won for The Departed, when yeah. in fact, actual fact, he should have yeah. won for The Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. It's 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 that kind of an Oscar where, for instance, if you've seen, okay, we're going to talk about Oscars now. If you've Uh-oh. seen um of Human Bondage, which you probably haven't, um, you have Betty Davis playing a horrible, horrible person, and she does it so well that everyone wanted her to get nominated for an Oscar. And they actually did a write-in nomination because people were very, very much outraged when the nominations came up and she wasn't on the list. And she didn't win that year. I can't even remember who won that year. But then she won the next year for something that was very, very bad. (laughs) And I think that's how it all started. The whole Constellation Oscar started with, with Betty Davis. I think my favorite one is 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 um Matthew McConaughey when he won for Dallas Buyers Club. And don't be wrong his performance in that film is very very good, but he he clearly won that Oscar because of his performance as Russ Cole in True Detective. Um you know, that's kind uh, of like my I it's so clearly he True won True Detective Is True Detective not a TV show? No, yeah, so I mean, like, it's a HBO limited. It was a HBO limited series around for 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 nine ten episodes. But everyone, literally, his performance in that TV series was so great. Everyone just kept talking about it, and obviously, you know, Dallas Buyers Club came out that year as well, and and you know, everyone oh, just pretty much just like, I yeah, you didn't win it for deserved... Dallas Buyers Club. I've not seen for... True Detective, but I went home to my mom one once and she she was talking about Matthew McConaughey and how much she loves him and how much she adores him in in True Detective and how he should win all the Oscars and all the all the awards and I'm like mom they don't give Oscars for TV shows I don't care <laughs> he should get an Oscar I mean she I think she thinks she's right he did get an Oscar for it but in, in, in my opinion in lots of opinion opinion like I think he did um, um and if you haven't seen true detective i think you should watch it but anyway yeah anyway um i think that's kind of it for i would have gone a bit longer but i think it's it i'll stop here about brief, brief encounter um because it, yeah I'm, I'm going to write more about it and and share it in the show notes we'll we'll get another chance in, in the season to talk about david Lean. yes so. absolutely that that was going to be the another thing that i was going to say yes so i can't wait for you to see bridge on the river Kwai. Yeah, um, I can't believe you've yeah. not seen it. Oh. I, it, it's, it, it's like um, it's like when I spoke about Forty Eight Hours. It's one of those films which I swear I've seen, but I actually don't think I have. I was going through, um, I was going through a phase where I was like, okay, I, I had just discovered um, Alec Guinness, 
and I think I went to my uni and I found all the all the I, I borrowed all the DVDs with all the Alec Guinness films and I think I saw the Lavender Hill mob and the lady killers and the man with in the white suit and then I saw Bridge on the River Kwai and I was blown away it was just his best performance by far in anything he's ever done and if you're a, if you're an Alec Guinness fan I urge you to watch it and Alec Guinness is incredible but that's it uh, that's a conversation for another episode yeah yeah we will talk about that uh, later on um so yeah, we're um, just a few things I was going I was going to talk about, um, and I forgot um, regarding brief encounter. Okay. Did you notice? I think you mentioned um, when she runs in front of the express, ready to kill herself. Um, that I think, in my opinion, that's a, quite an obvious reference to Anna Karenina. And if you read Anna Karenina by Tolstoy. It's, which I have not. Which you haven't. But there's so many uh, film adaptations. There's two garble film adaptations we you can watch tonight. I think there's. <laughs> I think they're on Amazon Prime or Netflix or one of. Really, MGM. really selling it. Selling it. No, there's two, and there's there's a silent one with John Gilbert, and there's a 1935 one with Frederick March, and they're both incredibly well made. So yeah, watch them. I mean, you 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 are now part of the Garbo Club, so you are allowed to watch them. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the idea was that you know, because the story in in Anna Karenina is that she chooses to leave her family for the love, and it doesn't work out. So this film, Brief Encounter, I find I find it it's it's in between. Anna Karenina and the later one, which is also a very good film, but very much inspired by Brief Encounter, I'm sure of it. Uh, the Bridges of Madison County, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood with um, Meryl Streep. And I'm not going to give away what, what happens in the Bridges of Madison County, but this, I think, Brief Encounter is kind of like at the junction of these two very, very good films. Uh, good stories, at least. Because Anna Karina has got so many interpretations that I can't, yeah. But yeah, um, that's kind of like my final note on the film. There was a, I had to look it up, but there was a 2012 one uh, film with uh, Keira Knightley and Jude Law. Yes, yes, which I've not seen because I'm not a big fan of Keira Knightley, as you probably know. (laughs) You're telling me you haven't seen Bend It Like Beckham? Oh, no. Oh. Just... Um... No, it no. Sorry, I've not seen it. <laughs> no, sorry, it's 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 okay. It's one of those like it was one of those quaint. I won't say quaint, but it was one of those British films it. that came out in the early two thousands, like you know, East is East and um, to think of the other ones. You know, like, they all came out the same kind of era. Yeah. Film four kind of thing, but yeah. Um. Anyway, a bit, a bit sidetracked as per. Um. So that's everything on Brief Encounter, yeah. Yep. Until we inevitably talk about David Le- David Lean again, um, so we go on to <laughs> um, you. May, uh, you listeners may have seen the tweet uh, in which I posted up, in which I <laughs> when I rewatched this film, and I posted up the the um, gif from from uh, Arrested Development 
I've made a huge mistake. Uh, <laughs> so I give you. Uh, what did I say? I say something romance with adultery. I was like yeah, I was, intention yeah. of adultery or something like that, and you give me this. You get right, so you gave me adultery is what you said. You said adultery, and okay, I my, I so immediately went mistake. to this. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> well, okay, right. We're making it sound like this was some sort of god awful film, but it's. Uh, we'll, get, I, we'll talk about it anyway we'll talk about it so 1960s The Housemaid or Han Yu directed by Korean director Kim Ki Young um, this film is a very very highly regarded piece of South Korean cinema um, a crypt synopsis a piano composer's family moves into a new house when his pregnant wife collapses from working to support the family he hires a housemaid to help with the housework um, that's a very very short synopsis. The film goes into many many different directions. Um, if you're a fan of South Korean cinema like me, yeah, it was very. If you're a fan of South Korean cinema like me, you'll kind of be okay with it. But I'd be interested to know what Danny thought. Well, Danny thought um, it was a very interesting experience. I I suppose. Um, I think if I had watched it in in the cinema. I would have probably liked it a bit more, which is why again I missed going to the cinema because it's one of those things you you're just immersed and you can't you know. Um, having watched it at home, um, there were a few interruptions, which kind of you know, it's not the best experience. You want to watch it in the cinema when there's nothing else around you, no cars, no ring bells, or nothing. Um, so even with that said, I think I really enjoyed the the, the the craftsmanship. There's mastery in the cinematography, the direction was impeccable. Although I I don't know, it felt I think it would I think it's because I've not watched that many South Korean films. It just felt a bit strange to me from the beginning that I was trying to understand exactly who these characters were and what they represented and it was very difficult because I couldn't I couldn't really understand if they were if the acting was good or if it was really really bad and very theatrical and very emotionless because it just felt very emotionless everything does that I don't know it's it, just it, it just like yeah. it was just like I don't I don't buy it I can't understand if these people are really like that affected by what's happening or not, it just felt very theatrical, very kabuki style. And I think it kind of took me out of it a bit. Um, yeah. The, 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 my main problem with it was the, the main, the, the piano teacher and how all the women, gorgeous South Korean women, were in love with him to the point of madness and suicide and I was just I don't get it he's not that attractive I mean even by uh, Korean standards I, I've seen I mean he's not Toshiro Mifune he's not that attractive I don't know he's not Don Draper let's just put it that way I just uh, it felt like you started somewhere and then you go. Yeah, the, the the narrative is just ridiculous. 
Um, <laughs> so what well, did I? I made some notes. So it was, I don't know. It just felt like a bit more like Fatal Attraction than Anna Karenina. I don't know. It was just like. The pacing felt a bit off at times because sometimes it felt like a cool thriller. Sometimes it was trying to be too theatrical. Uh, it, sometimes it felt it felt like you were trying to watch a noir film. And yeah, there was quite a bit of suspense, but then it turned into caricature almost with the acting that was again very very theatrical. Uh, and I was watching, and it just made me think. Because when the big reveal, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, when he, <laughs> what, when he goes, no, no, I don't... when he goes to the wife to tell her that he's impregnated the, the housemaid with a baby, it just made me think, what if something like this happened where the woman came home to her husband and said, I'm, I'm pregnant by another man. What would happen then? Because the reaction just felt really, really theatrical. Um, and I, I, halfway through, I, I got a bit of like vibe of like Diaboli because we had them on the podcast a while ago on the, on the first season and those moments when I felt like it was a bit like the Diaboli where the two women are fighting on it, I was quite into it and I was, you know, drawn in and I felt like if it, if that had continued a bit more, I would have probably liked it a bit more. Um, I just didn't feel like I liked any of the characters that much. Just didn't. None of them were sympathetic. Everyone had their agenda. Everyone was slightly mad about. Yes, everyone was a bit sex crazed after this man who apparently was like God's gift to women. <laughs> and I found the music to be to be fair. I found it a bit too intrusive into the people the actors performances like every time something happened you had to make sure that everyone's paying attention to what's happening and the music um and yeah it just got darker and darker and darker and i don't know i i, I always found that it was usually me who chose a really dark material but this was very dark and then at the end it's not dark. <laughs> that again. That was just again the cherry on top of the ridiculousness that this film was. It's like, hey, this is just a fable, you know. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's a definitely an interesting experience, but it was just like, what did I just watch? What was so? What was your reaction then? When like, because I I saw this film. I, I the first laughing. time I saw this film, it was film. just like what. Yeah, so the first time I saw this film was uh, at El Cinema Ricciavato in Bologna uh, when they did a South Korean kind of retrospective and they showed the the, the restoration print and um, the the cinema was packed and the whole the whole the whole room was kind of like electrified by what was going on on screen because we we didn't know what to expect like you I know, didn't that know this what film to had, expect. Had been, yeah, this film had been highly, highly talked about by Scorsese. We all know that Scorsese was a big fan of this film. Okay. And um, I will get on to that. And this was obviously, this was also before uh, Parasite came out and Bong Joon-ho talked about the film as well when he was talking about Parasite. 
Um, so the, the the whole cinema just didn't know what to expect. So obviously when you know the the, the film was just kind of like accelerating on at this pace, and yeah. you know the, the little boy, the little boy dies, and it's like the film just keeps cranking up from there and gets more and more insane. I mean, I could um, have well as soon as I saw, I think it's right at the beginning when you see the poison in the cupboard, and like someone's gonna die from that poison. It's it's like Chekhov's gun, you know, you have to use it. You ha- it has to be there. He technically didn't die from the poison, though. He died from falling down the stairs. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and and yeah. Basically, so when the, at the ends, like it kind of cuts, and we see the little boys back, and they're back at this in the room at the beginning. He's reading the newspaper, and then the wife is like, you know, this is like leading a tiger into a a, a, a tiger in sheep's clothing or something. If you have a, a beautiful woman in the house. And the husband starts laughing as they walk out of the room, and he turns to the camera, yeah, and it breaks the fourth wall completely. It basically warns the men in the audience <laughs> that they shouldn't be attracted to younger women because it will ruin their lives. The whole cinema just cracked up, just honestly, just lost it, and there was like howling with laughter. There was clapping. Oh, yeah, I just laughed. I um, just lost it as well. It was just like, what the hell? What the fuck? <laughs> I'd never seen an ending like that to a film because, you know, like with this kind of film, you just expect it to be cranking up and you expect it to be some sort of like dramatic death at the end. But then when it cuts to that thing at the end and he just, there's the warning and, and the kind of way he just laughs and talks to the camera, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's insane. Actually insane. Um, yeah, it was pretty insane. Yeah. You'd say so you haven't seen anything like this, though. Like you know, I mean, if you look at Parasite, has got some similar moments where the, the craziness goes to up to eleven. But I think what this film lacks, and Parasite has in spades, is the humor element. And also, it, it in Parasite they've got much more defined barriers between society, between like classes. Yeah. And here is just a bit. I think. What I've noticed was that, you know, you have everyone was in the factory working and then the, the wife was at home doing the sewing. And the only difference was that the girls were dressed in more European clothes and the wife was dressed in more traditional garb. Um, but that was kind of it. Whereas with Parasite, you definitely have like a distinction between classes and, and the rich and the poor and everything. Yeah, and it takes it takes a jab at that. Whereas this is just a bit of don't lust after women because your do- your kid's gonna die, you're gonna die, everyone's gonna die. <laughs> 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 Sorry, you're just so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, this is this is the reaction I was hoping for. Um, <laughs> you just kind your of like start gonna laughing because your wife's gonna die. How everyone's in- gonna insane die. as it is. Yeah. So, are you? Is that is that all your thoughts? Yeah, on, on that the, was on my. I was like, yeah, okay. Hmm. So, um, the director Kim Ki Young was born, um, you know, around nineteen twenty in in Seoul, uh, which is you know the south. This is before, you know, Korea was broken up. But then he was uh, he was ma- uh, mainly raised in uh, Pyongyang. Um, this is before Korea was kind of divided in World War Two. Um, he made around about a total of 30 or so films. Um, about eight of them uh, are, are thought to be lost. 
Um, this film, uh, The Housemaid, was made in 1960, which is just before the military dictatorship of uh, Park Chun-hee. Um, for those that know that, or for those that don't know, um, most of the 20th century, well, half of the 20th century in, in South Korea was in military dictatorship, um, supported by the Americans until the 80s. Uh, we spoke a little bit about it when we spoke about Memories of Murder. Yes. Um, so this this film, you know, that, that, that dictatorship, when after it came in, you know, had, you know, things regulated and where they kind of measured how short a woman's skirt should be. And, you know, people stopped, the men were stopped on the streets to make sure their hair wasn't too long. Um, so, yeah, uh, I got basically my research on this film came from three sources um one being from the criterion which i'm going to link to in the show notes an essay from the criterion um two uh interviews or talking heads with martin scorsese which i'll link to in the show notes and bon jung ho's own interview uh on the criterion um so just going to do a bit of quoting here but i will go into some other thing thought some other my thoughts um, so retrospectives of Kim's work became the vogue at many film festivals and cinematics around the world. Berlin, London, Belgrade, San Francisco, Hong Kong, Paris and many other places honoured this maverick filmmaker. He died a couple of days before um, he was scheduled to depart for Berlin to attend the first ever retrospective of his work overseas in 1998. The cause of his death was a house fire set off by short circuit. A bizarre ending even for a man whose vision was as uncanny as Kim's. Um, so that that one there's from from the Criterion, and what I came came to conclusion by listening to mainly Bon Jung Ho talking about his work and is that he had a very very distinct cinema like style that was totally unique to him, and I would love to see other films of his. I think some of his other films may be on the YouTube uh, channel, the Korean Film Archive has got his own YouTube channel. There's lots of lots of South Korean films from the 60s on there. Um, so I think some of those films are on there. So I, I, I really want to check some of those out. Um, so Martin Scorsese um, was responsible for bringing, mainly making this film kind of, a, you know, a, available in the, in the West. Um, you know, he, he restored, he helped pioneer the the restoration with his world cinema project um you know criterion did a disc release for it and you know it ended up you know going around uh you know doing the doing the rounds as it were so scorsese uh, in an interview said that i was startled when i first saw the picture by its mood of upset its bold expressionism its sense of the potential danger in all human interaction and its intense and passionately realized sense of claustrophobia and um, I think it's Scorsese started by a film. You got you kind of onto something. Yeah, I th- I was gonna I was going to say that I, I made a note about how claustrophobic the sets felt. I mean, th- this family has just moved into a new house, but the house felt really small as well. They said that they just built a new house from the because the, the the original house was too small, but then the new house is also small. So it's just yeah. like they're, they're they can't really escape each other. They can't really escape their own fate, I suppose. Um, and yeah, and their own thoughts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Scorsese in another interview, which I'm going to link to, he kind of says that Kim's film has its own rich sense of perversity and everyday madness. Um, he says, every image, every movement, every action is controlled. The film is hair-raisingly sharp in every detail, and I'll admit it's quite unnerving. Um, yeah. An interesting fact about the film is that uh, when he kind of did the restoration with the Korean Film Archive and, and with the World Cinema Project, um, he said it was quite an undertaking because two, role, two reels of the original film negative were lost and the only usable element was an original release print with enormous English subtitles that had to be digitally removed. It was hard work, but I think it was well worth it. Mm. Um, there's a clip in that interview, which you know I'll link to, um, where they show kind of where those subtitles were and where they were digitally removed. And you couldn't tell the difference you really couldn't um it's quite 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 amazing that um so bon Jung ho spoke about this film when he did his excuse Press me Lands parasite excuse me academy mm-hmm. award winner bon Jung ho oh sorry yeah academy award winner bon Jung ho um as as oh, yeah, i keep i forgot we were doing that <laughs> <laughs> um when we he did his rounds for power yeah when he did his Master Parasite, um, you know, he was in, I think he did a thing in the Criterion, for the Criterion thing. Um, he said, uh, The Housemaid is a melodrama, a crime drama, as well as a horror movie. The Housemaid in this movie is a monster in a sense. Um, another thing about The Housemaid is that it's a crime melodrama inspired by an actual event that he read about in the papers. It's a crime melodrama that deals with women's sexual desires as well as a political and social commentary on Korean society at the time and the changing social class. I think it did a great job of depicting that. So before I carry on, you you said that you know you just see the film as not really commenting on anything, where like Parasite did. Um, compared to Parasite. Compared to Parasite, I just maybe I mean. If I were, if we had lived in the 60s, I would have probably picked on it, but not knowing the history of, of what it was commenting on, it would be hard for me to say. Yeah. I think, like, Parasite's a much more universal tale yeah. of class. Yeah, and it's 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 very much of today as well. It's quite, you know, modern. Um, but I'm yeah. sure I would have picked up on, on things if, if I'd... But there were so many details in this film. That's the other thing. There are so many things that happen. And it's difficult to to remember to understand what is going on most of the time. You're like, okay, so because there's characters coming in and out that you think they're important to the story, but they're kind of not. Because you have the film starts with with the two giggling girls who they leave a letter um, on the piano for the teacher to find, but then they kind of fade into the background and they only come towards the end. Well, I mean, one of them because the other one killed herself because she was too in love with the teacher. God. It's quite absurd, um, but not knowing this is the society at the time, um, or like the political turmoil of the time, it, it was very hard for me to pick up on it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Academy Award winner Bong Joon Ho says, um, the movie mainly takes place in a house. It's a two-story house. At the time, this was a symbol of money or the upper middle class. Only two-story homes had stairs. A single-story house doesn't have stairs. You're going to see a lot of stairs throughout the film. The stairs are as important as the characters in this film, what the stairs symbolise. 
a couple trying to make it to the upper middle class and this housemaid who is a monster that tries to ruin this family um he goes on i didn't i, I don't quote i'm not going to quote it but he does go on and talked about how the housemaid herself um she um she represents kind of a, a um a, a basically a woman that kind of came in from the countryside into seoul as and you know a young woman basically kind of almost how like you know people do nowadays where they come from the country and they go to the you know the city yeah um she represents a very very certain certain social class of like woman or person that would you know come into you know yeah culture as it were in the 60s um one of the interesting things about the film which i didn't notice until um the second viewing is that after she she has sex with the the piano teacher she dresses in black um which is very very quite quite cool um there's like loaded yeah, little touches here she keeps here going yeah she keeps dressing in black and and the wife is always dressed in white and she's very very like she's a very very unconventional looking actress in terms of what korean women look like even today you know when we when we watch parasite or memories of murder or when we saw old boy you know and other south korean films that are, you know are around you know she does she doesn't look a traditional south korean actress um she has a very very unique look to her and i think that really she does she's an amazing job i think she, she was the she was the one that i whose performance i i preferred I, I didn't like the performance of 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 the wife i think that kind of threw me off a bit because it was quite theatrical and very almost caricaturish and i yeah that's kind of what i didn't like the the handmaid the hand, the housemaid um i liked her performance I, I believed her to be the monster i believed her to be as crazy as that whereas the wife was just like no nah, i'm not i'm not buying it sorry that was kind yeah. of that my main my main qualm um i could have yeah I, I went along with with how crazy the story got because it was quite entertaining to be fair <laughs> but sometimes it was just like, yeah, I, I don't believe the this craziness of, of I mean I believe the crazy I don't believe the, the sort of fight between the the good and evil because because the good isn't good enough. Like the good represented by as as the wife in in, in you know, white dress and pure and homely. Um but yeah, um it was an interesting pick, very bold. And now that I think about it, and with what you've said in terms of like political um, commentary and everything, it it kind of fits with brief encounter. I I think like because I I like I said I I chose it because of the the word you said was adultery. I think I said melodrama like, as well, yeah. if I remember correctly. And, yeah, and this was like in my mind for for whatever reason oh. um it definitely stays it with was... you it's definitely a film that stays with you for a while and it might be yeah worth revisiting i suppose uh, yeah um yeah i gotta say second viewing it it definitely holds up second viewing um even whilst knowing all the twists and turns because it means i can kind of concentrate on other things like the direct the, the director or kind of like nuances of the film um, there's a great shot where the camera starts off inside the room. This is upstairs, and the camera starts off inside the room yeah, with I think uh, the piano teacher and her. 
and then it comes outside and it's raining and they kind of get together and the, the sex scene as well between those two is is a very very weird kind of power dynamic going on um between between those two so yeah yeah, it's no, definitely, I'm, I'm I mean, if, if, technically speaking, I was quite impressed um, because, like I said, it, I had a bit of a problem with the music because it was it felt a bit quite intrusive and it was like all the time. And if it's if the music is there all the time for every scene, you kind of get used to it, and it's not it it just doesn't ha- it doesn't have the same effect it would if it was more subtle. Um, but yeah, it just felt. At times that it was quite a thriller, and I think I, that that part I liked very much. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm. I said I'm. I'm kind of glad I I got it on on the podcast in in retrospect because, you know. And to continue you, the you now fav- you yeah. now can say you've seen it. Yeah, you know, you and can to say continue, I saw this insane film. To continue the fable, we can go like you see. This is what happens when if if if. if Laura and Alec from Brief Encounter were to meet up and <laughs> and have sex, they would have all their families destroyed <laughs> and probably killed. Yeah, yeah. You know, we <laughs> said we said last week that Cold War was basically what would happen if Ninochka continued. Yeah. Um, and this week we can say the housemaid is what happened if Brief Encounter continued. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't I don't think there will be as much murder in the British version of this story. But then again, um, both both films are a reflection of society. Yeah, the I think especially. Societies. Yeah, I'm not and saying that like I, I don't know. I'm I'm not saying that I know Korean society of the '60s that were as violent as that. But um, having heard what you said and you know quotes from a Korean um, Academy Award winner Bong Joon Ho, maybe. Yeah. One one of the things that I I kind of came across in my research was how um, him uh, Kim, what's his name Kim Ho Sang Soo I think his name is, and uh, Park Chan work um, basically you know the the this kind of new wave of of South Korean directors that came out in the late nineties early two thousands they all watched Kim Kim Ki Young's films and The Housemaid was one you know that they kind of like rallied behind. Um, and you can really see elements of South Korean, modern South Korean cinema in The Housemaid. You know, the, the jarringness of the tones, the the ridiculousness of the situations. You know, I, I was watching The Housemaid and I thought, some of this stuff is like you, you we saw in Old Boy, you know. Mm. And, you know, some of it we saw in, in, in Parasite and in Memories of Murder. And, you know, you definitely see uh, elements of, of The Housemaid in... Um, uh, a Tale of Two Sisters, which is a fantastic horror film by Kim Ji Woon. Um, so it's like it's quite quite cool how a film from the 1960s is is kind of it is so important to to uh, a, a movement as that. Um, yeah. I don't know if you could see elements of of the film in 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 modern in in the South Korean films I, that you've seen. I I would probably have to rewatch it, but I'm I'm definitely. Definitely, in terms of like cinematography and direction, definitely film noir territory. Definitely thrillers. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Cool. 
Uh, no, no, nothing more on the housemaid. You don't want to stop no. laughing again. <laughs> no, sorry, I've been laughing too hard and feel bad now. That was, it's quite sad. It's a sad film. Sad. It's quite sad. depressing though. I mean, both films are very have a very very bleak I'm, ending. I think if I if I watch Brief Encounter at any given point, I probably will cry. Um, because it just makes me it just makes me cry just thinking about it because it's such a sad story and it's it's very simple but very sad. Anyway. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get sad, but I was, I felt, you know, I felt. Well, if Robert Allman cried, it was sad, okay? <laughs> um, okay, so that's us done for, for this and adultery. You know, we've had two, two weeks of quite serious dramas, haven't we? So, so what have we got on for next week? Changing up, to, um, we're changing up to uh, buddy comedies. Buddy comedies. Um, buddy comedies. Um, so Danny's film is uh, 1989's Tango and Cash, oh, yes. directed by Andre Kon- Konchalovsky and Albert Magnoli, starring Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. Um, I can't believe you've um, not seen this film. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You, it kind of fits in you, with my thing of watching yeah, like it's 80s your and 90s thing. action films I, I can't believe seen. Like, you have not seen this film it's just uh, uh, I can't believe I can't wait for you to see it I really can't and uh, we'll be watching it with uh, 2016's The Nice Guys directed by Shane Black starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling Shane Black um, is the same guy who wrote uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang yes Kiss Kiss Bang Bang yes I'm learning so you loved you loved Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, didn't you? I did. I mean, you've got Bob Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. and they're both great, and I love them. So yeah, so you got to see how those two deal with Shane Black's dialogue. So now you get to see how Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling do it. I'm sure I will like it. So it's going to be a very okay. funny episode. I see. I'm very much looking forward to Tango and Cash. You know, I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. Um, oh, it's who such a good Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah. Russell's great. I, I would say, like after after like these two weeks of having like the two kind of like Very I would say serious films, but like I mean, you know, sure it, was, the... well, it was comedy. But yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear, you have to. I have to. Yeah. I think you have to watch more Ernst Lubitsch films to understand the, the humor. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyway. I know. Yeah, we've got so that's all that's done for this week. Proper um, humour next week. Proper, proper humor boy humour, not girl humour. Yeah. Um, so join us for that next week. Uh, <laughs> Danny, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joan, and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk And you can find me on Twitter at NickSChamber. My website is SuperAtomoVision.com um, I have written... Well, I altered a essay I did um, about Laura Mulvey and um, kind of where her kind of theory stands with with contemporary modern blockbusters. Um, so that's on my website if you wanted to give that a read. Um, I'm also trying to resurrect my own short film of the week or day thing where like I'll post up short films. Um, so keep an eye out for that. 
Um, you can find us on Twitter at Keenotomic. Uh, drop us an email on Keenotomic at gmail.com. Um, let us know what your thoughts are on Brief Encounter. Um, and if you did end up seeing The Housemaid, what did you think? <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting opinion to get. Um, so with that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. Is this love?